This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. In 1968, Robert Clark was 13 years old when he stood before a judge on a charge of vandalism. He was sentenced to a term of four months in the state training school for troubled youth in Kearney, Nebraska. Little did he know that he would never be free again. This is the story of a scared kid drawn deeper and deeper into the pit of incarceration and violence until there was no way out. This is the story of a youth who at the age of 14 was too young to be placed in general population of the Nebraska State Penitentiary, so was instead put into solitary confinement until he turned 16. This is the true story of Robert Clark, told in his own words and with interviews with friends and family. What does that structure look like right now? My sentence? Yeah. Yes. Okay, my minimum is 121 years and my maximum is 220. What was your original sentence when you first went in? Well, my original sentence, I I went from the boys' training school and I got a felony from boys' training school. It was a two- to three-year sentence. What was you arrested for in 1969? Well, in 69, in 68, I was arrested for vandalism. And then I went from boys' training school. I caught a felony there from escape from custody and I got two to three years at the age of 14 and that's when they put me in a penitentiary and then I just parlayed in it from there you know so the last time well, actually, you ever been free was 1968 yeah but what happened was I was on escape see I escaped from boys training school I was out there it was 68 or 69 and then they caught me in Omaha and that's when I picked up that robbery case at 14, and then they, I bought them the three out, and then they took me back to Douglas County and gave me a five-year sentence. And there on out, I just, I never, you know, I just kept parling so, it into more time. And, and, and I'm just asking because I just want the listeners to understand how do a 14-year-old go from two to five years to 121 years? How does that happen? I don't know. It just, I guess, a lot of lot of poor choices on my behalf and then uh, a system that just loaded me up you know and they were I'm, I'm not you know i'm not trying to sugarcoat it these were serious assaults man and you know they were they were assaults on on staff members you know i mean luckily no one died or nothing i don't have no murder case at one time you know i, I guess i was a monster back then when i was i i, I will make the difference that you was a monster or not I would make the difference because no 14-year-old child should be put in a situation with grown men, oh, no. especially in the penitentiary. Oh, I agree with you totally. I agree with you so, totally. So, because... so to say that you was a monster is something it's a little too harsh on yourself. I wouldn't go that far, right? Yeah. Because the system yeah. play a part in this, right? You never had a chance to begin with. No. If no, you're I... telling me that you put a child 
1968, 14-year-old in the penitentiary, and expect yeah. for nothing to happen, you're wrong. As a, as a juvenile, I yes, went to prison know. myself at the age of 17. Yeah, I, spent, I, I spent 31 years in the penitentiary, yeah. right? And I can tell you that yeah. my first 10 years, I stayed in solitary confinement. I fought. Not only did I fought, it means I fought guards, and I was fighting for yeah. my survival. So, so I want the listeners to understand that this is a 14-year-old kid fighting for his survival. Should that kid end up with 121 years? This is America, yeah. goddammit. What the fuck is going on in America? A 14-year-old yeah. kid since 1968 been in yeah. prison as long as I've been alive? 1952? Yeah. And you mean that he should die in prison and he haven't even killed nobody? And yeah, he and defended himself, defended his manhood yeah. in the penitentiary. Because I can tell you, in 1968, I wasn't even born, but I could just imagine what the penitentiary was like back then. Yeah, it was rough you know? back then. So if you can, right, take our listeners into what, what was it like for you and your family in well, 1968? Well, back then, you know, you didn't have no television, no radios, no fans. It was more about mass punishment back then, but back then you didn't do the kind of time that you do today. Today they just they just warehouse you today. Don't you think that what they did to you is warehouse? You oh, went in. Yeah, I'm definitely. With, with, yeah. You went in with a little no bit doubt. of five years, and you end up with 121 yeah. years. How well, actually, does that I happen? Two, two hundred. I have 222 years. 222 yeah, years. Yeah. Correction. 220, yeah, that's my math. So my at what point in life? did you begin to think I'm never going home I'm dying in prison at what age well, you know what was the what was the moment as I you know as I got to Kansas and I started doing pretty good here you know I got into I was working here uh, when they let me out of the solitary and then and I went to school I got a GED I got an AA and then I got a minimum wage job and worked there for 22 years straight so then I realized that time was finally running out on you know that i, I probably going to die in here you know so but i i accepted it you know because i did what i did and uh, it, it is what it is you know when i wrote that book my thing was i just wanted to help some youngsters out there not do what i did you know and end up like i ended up you know that was my goal you know because i never did think that it ever let me out but let me say this man i don't know you and you don't know me right but we come right. from the same fraternity right which is right. the, the Department of Correction. Because right. I spent all my youth in there. And at one time, yeah. I never thought I was going to get out, right? At the same yeah. time, right, I never gave up hope. I never gave up on not, oh, I'm no. not coming home, right? And I, I applaud you to do the same, right? Because there is light at the end of the tunnel. As long as you're taking a breath, as long as you get up in the morning and you're breathing, yeah. there is light at the end of the tunnel, Right? And yeah. you need to yeah. believe that you need to own that, right? Because now you have uh, two individuals that really care about the story and we're going to put it out to the world, right? Because yeah. this is an injustice. I don't care how many people you assaulted in prison, right? Yeah. What you went to prison for, what you got initially arrested for, wasn't even warrant yeah. for you to go to prison to begin with. To begin with, I know people with two or three homicides, that's done yeah. less time than you done. Yeah. You've been in jail before Kevin and I was even conceived. Yeah. So yeah. I'm asking the questions to America. Is this justice? This is a man that never killed. 
nobody. But Never. yet, but yet, he's he's he got two hundred and twenty-two years, been incarcerated for fifty-two years. Where the fuck is the justice in that? Where's the public safety in that? Fuck is going on in America? This can't be happening in America. And I'm glad you decided to talk to us because this is the type of stories that people need to hear. In the worst case, we could say, okay, he killed somebody, he's in jail. But in this case, there's no murder charge. Every yeah. time he got accumulated with time that was accumulated in prison. Right. Yeah. So yep. therefore, you know, if the science, the science, the Supreme Court already ruled on the science saying that the brain of a child that's yeah. not developed that he's 25 or 26. You, yeah. in your case, should be given the same treatment that all juvenile lifers was given. Yeah. Call back court and re-sentence because your original charge was initiated when you was 14. So everything yeah. else extended from that. So I don't ever want you to say, oh, I was a monster or I deserved this. You don't deserve that. Don't nobody deserve to be thrown in jail at the age of 14 and get lost in the system. Yeah. Nobody deserved that. And yeah. if people don't understand it, shit happened in prison. Shit yeah. happened in prison. I was in prison. Yeah. You know, I could tell you the countless assaults that I got, not only on staff, because I had to survive. I had to survive. I had to protect myself. I had to protect myself from other older inmates trying to rape me, yeah. trying to come at me. You know, I even said it in my podcast. I cut yeah. somebody 32 times because yeah. the motherfucker tried to touch my ass. Yeah. And that's a no-no in prison. And I cut him 32 times. So you can't tell yeah. me that because you protected yourself in prison, you deserve 222 yeah. years. That's not justice. That's an injustice. And I hope that when people hear this shit, they feel uncomfortable yeah. listening to it. Because when people feel uncomfortable, they want to act. You know, yeah. we asking everyone that's listening to this to write you a letter on your behalf to the governor for a total to cost the- of three dollars and seventy-two cents. This message is at no cost. You may continue speaking now. Now they're gonna. I well, what I just heard, what I just heard, is the prison system charging is up for this conversation, people. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm employing all the listeners out there to write a letter on your behalf to the governor of your state demanding that they pardon you because you don't deserve to die in prison. This guy, he, he left out the, the other part. When he got to Lancaster, which we talked about when I talked to him the other day, they realized they didn't even know. The prison didn't know they had a 14-year-old coming to prison. He got there and they, they went through his paperwork and they put him in solitary for two years, from 14 to 16, so that he wouldn't get assaulted. So can you imagine the anger when that dude, when they finally opened that fucking cage? I mean, it would have been like Raging Bull in there. You know, a fucking 16-year-old, scared to death probably of adult male prisoners, locked up in solitary for two of his 16 years of life. I mean, that dude hadn't seen the outside but for like a day and since he was 13 years old. Wow. He's never been on a date. He's never even been fishing. <laughs> you know, like, and he lives in Kansas. Or he does now. Or he lived in Nebraska. And then, so he's never been on a date. He's never driven a car. He had a whole laundry list of stuff, he told me. You know? <laughs> he's, he's never done anything. He's been in there since wow. the late 60s. 
and here's the other thing that I wanted to ask, but it was such a short call this time. I looked, I finally found his file on the Nebraska Department of Corrections, and it still says he's in Lancaster, which is in Nebraska, even though he's been transferred to Kansas and transferred around the state in Kansas repeatedly. So you can't find it. Like, you can find his name and his number, but if you want to write him a letter, you got to know where he is because they don't forward mail. So if I wrote him a letter to the Nebraska Department of Corrections where he's supposed to be housed, he would never get it. There's no wow. prison address on his card when you look up his card in, in Nebraska. So they transferred him because of the violence to to Kansas in, using the interstate compact, and they ran all of his time consecutive. So everything he picked up, there's no concurrent that he didn't get any concurrent additional time. It's all consecutive. Every single thing is consecutive. So that's why his his, his sentence is so long. You know, so basically he got he picked up another charge. He was already going to be in for like another whatever it was twenty years, and they put that ten years on top of the twenty, even though he was he was in the middle of serving that twenty. Then they put another five right. years on top of that. Then they put another, you know, it was just, just fucking crazy. The whole thing is bananas. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of other people out there like this, but I've never heard of a case this egregious for no, no actual death involved in any of these assaults. Most of them, a couple of them were on guards. Most of them were on other inmates. God knows what those inmates were saying to him, you know? So who knows? I'm blown away. I mean, I'm buying this site. 214 wow. years. For assault. You know? I mean, it's like all the three strikes people. The, a guy just got out, I think, in uh, Virginia. He, they finally released him. His last charge was like a shoplifting charge. And they were going to give him life because he had two charges before it. <laughs> this is a fucking insane. My mind is blown away. Yeah. My mind is really blown away on that. Yep. So. I'm like... <laughs> This can't be America. Well, the, the other thing about Bob is I feel like he's got people advising him to be humble and, you know, like, oh, you know, I did what I did, you know, and be real apologetic because they want to get him out of there. But the fact, and this is part of the problem, I feel like, with, with Ralph and some of the other cases that we're talking to people, the only guys that don't do that are Rios and Rodriguez. They're like, fuck this shit. This is bullshit. Get the fuck out of here, you know? All I can tell you about Bob is that he just had a terrible, terrible upbringing. My husband was an alcoholic. He beat me. Bob saw all this. Half the time, we didn't have a place to live. Half, we got evicted. Half the time, we didn't have food. I can remember Bob coming home one day for uh, school and asked what we are going to have for lunch. And I said, uh, scrambled eggs. And he just, he said, uh, again? And the only reason we had scrambled eggs is because back then, they used to bring stuff to your house, like eggs and milk and stuff. And uh, he said, scrambled eggs again. And my husband, his name is Bob, too, just picked him up and threw him on the bed real hard for saying that. But he never he never was mean to him. That's, that's the only time I ever saw him put his hands on him. Because the kids that we had, Bob just was, he was just, uh, everything was for Bob. But Bob never had nothing. Right. He never gave Bob anything. He was an alcoholic. He drank. Then, when he went, his dad went to the to the penitentiary, and he was out here, and I was with, you know, trying to raise him. And I found a, a job working night. I, I wasn't smart enough to have a, a good uh, job, you know, like a, a in an office or something, typing or something like that. So I went to work at this bar nights, and I was making really good money and tips and everything. But I wasn't home with him. 
I wasn't home with him, and he he just was running. He was in grade school, and he was running with this boy. He couldn't get along with his folks either, and they just got, I did little that I know. He was sneaking him up in in, our, in, in the bed, his bedroom so he could spend the night so the kid didn't have to go home, and they just got to be real good friends. Next thing you know, they're out there trying to rob places, and you know what? To make a long story short, he, he just had a terrible, terrible childhood. That's, that's the bottom line. How you doing, first of all, and thank you for just being so candid and talking to us. You know, like Kevin said, my name's Suave. I spent 31 years in prison, and I could, re- I could relate to um, Bob's story. Oh, you know, um, when was the last time that you saw Bob as a free man? Oh, my gosh. I, you know what? I can't even answer that because he's been there about 50 years. He's, wow. there, he's done time about 50 years. He's, he's up. He's got a birthday coming up. He was born in 1954, and he was like 13 when he went to the school. Have you ever heard of Carnage School, the, uh, training school for boys? Yes. Okay, he was sent there, and he ran away from there, stole a car, and didn't even know. I don't, I don't even know how he drove it because he didn't. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, I don't even know if he knew how to drive. But he made it back to Omaha, and he was only out for a little bit. And then he had, um, you know, we made him turn him himself back in because they would have got him eventually. So so is it fair to say that the last time you saw your son as a free person was at the age of 13? Yeah, but there was like a you know, there was like a gap in there because when he escaped, he was out for a while. But maybe, wow. He uh, wasn't out very long and he was right back in. Because, well, we, he had to turn himself in. They would have got him, like I said earlier, they would have got him anyway. And then when he went back, he just, uh, I don't know what they call it, he just had so much hate in him, and uh, he didn't like authority, and he, just, he got a bad uh, reputation when he went down there to Lincoln. Like, you know, uh, I'm 51 right now, and I still don't like authority, right? But that still don't give the American criminal justice system the, the permission or the right to take a 13-year-old kid and basically bury him alive inside the penal system. You know, nobody deserved that. So Bob's story is very much interested because we're talking at hand about a 13-year-old kid. But see, what happened is he's big for his age, and they thought he was 17. That's why they put him in the prison. Then they found out they had to, you know, move him because he was 13. They thought he was 17. Uh, Even at 17, it still don't get them authority to bury him in in a prison, right? And what we're trying to do is bring awareness and maybe bring some help, you know, that could probably help Bob get out of jail because there's still hope. I was ser- I myself was serving life without parole. Uh, but today I'm hot. I'm here today. So there's still hope. And all we're trying to do right now with Bob's story is, like, show the American people the great injustice that has been committed. Um... On a kid, on a 13-year-old kid, no, you know, on one hand, and one hand, we have the United States Supreme Court rule saying that the the brain of a child don't develop to day 25, right? And that it's unconstitutional to keep a person that committed a crime under the age of 18 in prison for the rest of their life. But on the yeah. other hand, we're talking about Bob. But while he was in there, he stabbed him and his two, I guess, the one or two other inmates stabbed guards. That's that's when they put all that time on him. They they didn't die, but they they got together in the library. I think it was the library, and they got these guards and they stabbed stabbed them. 
and they were one of them uh, was in really bad shape, but none of them got none of them died. But what is it that put on you the three three three, three strikes and you're out? Right. Yeah. yeah. And that's what they went by, and they just it's just been it's just been pure hell for him and me because he's had such bad treatment in every place he's been. The best place that he'd ever been was like for 20 years when he was done in Lansing, Kansas. And he was working down there in the sewing machine factory they had down there. He worked down there. He, he spent 20 years without missing one day down there in Lansing, Kansas. He made good money and he saved it. Then they then they, they moved him to another place. All they've been doing is moving him. He, in the last couple, three or four years, they just keep moving him. Down there in uh, Norton, he was in El Dorado. He was in Oswego. He went to college down there, Doan College in Kansas and he's got a degree he's graduated I got his diploma here and everything I mean he's he's tried to do good but they won't give him a break it's just terrible I've cried you and know, cried and I can't I, cry anymore and I'm 87 under, years old I really understand because talking to you it reminds me of me talking to my mother when I uh-huh. used to call her from prison and I could just imagine what it's like for you on a day to day basis to see your son in prison for 50 yeah, that years. that long, too, that long. He's been through so much. I, I would probably have to write it, I would probably have to write on a tablet or paper to let you know all that he has been through. He went on a hunger strike. That didn't do any good. That didn't help him any. He was in the, in the hole. Well, I think he was in the hole. That's what they call it. He was in the hole, I don't know how many years couple of years, two, three years he was in the hole. I don't, I don't even know how he's got a good mind to even write that book that he wrote. That, yeah, wow. that, that book is intense. Imprisoned hey, at 13? Yeah. Yeah. I have it. I ordered it. I'm going to send it to oh, Suave when I'm done reading it. Cry. It, it was so sad. Yeah, it's sad. It's so it sad is sad. So, how long has it been since you've actually been able to visit him? Because he's all the way down in Norton now and you're you're in, uh, you're, you're up Omaha, in Nebraska. Omaha. I mean, that's a long way. I know it. And he he doesn't want to see me because it's going to be too far for me at my age. Mm-hmm. So I'm, a, I'm on a lot of medication, and he's saying, "I don't, I don't think it'd be good for you to try and come down here." But I want to go down and see him. So, so how long has it been since you've seen him? I haven't seen him for about three years. Huh. They move him every time they, like I said, every time they uh, he goes somewhere, they move him. Just move him, move him. El Dorado, Oswego, Norton. Now he's down in Norton. Yeah. Well, when when I looked him up, I couldn't find where he was where he was housed. You know, I yes, looked in, in Norton, Kansas. Now, yeah, and I only know because I t- I mean I've talked to Bob a lot. We've t- we probably spent oh, about we spent we spent about four hours on the phone so far. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I know. Now now, does Bob have any other family that's still alive? Oh yeah, he's got two brothers out here and a sister. And they all have kids. No, they're they're no they're they're grown. Well, yeah, the, my youngest son has got a, a, a boy. Mm-hmm. My, my daughter that lives in Texas, she's just got grand, uh, grandkids. We're all pretty old. <laughs> yeah. We don't have any little tots or little little ones, you know. Yeah, so when I talked to Bob, he said, you know, basically he didn't get to do anything in life. No, he, no, he didn't. He was uh, he was incarcerated so young. Oh, I know. I know. Is his family, would, would the rest of the family be supportive of him getting out of prison? Oh my gosh! Yes, they even he's got one cousin here that, um, and then he has another. He has a a lady, but her name is Angela uh-huh. Jackson, and she's she's uh, one of the like she's 
she does marriages and she does funerals like a priest, but that's not what she is. She, she has this faith. She visited Bob for years and years, years and years she visited him. And uh, she wanted to talk to you too. And I said, well, I, I don't want to, I don't want to give uh, any information to anybody unless I talk to Bob first. Right. I don't. She would go to go to hell and back for him. She's just a wonderful person. So he's, he's got a. He, so he's got a support system when oh, he yeah, gets out. Got, oh yeah, he does. You're, you're still alive, which is amazing. Oh, yeah. And I know. I don't know how. I know. I, know I don't you know too, how. You too, God's watching over me because I'm the only one that that does for Bob. Like you know, or he has no money. But if he needs anything or wants anything, he has to go through me. You know, through his bank account and everything. He doesn't have anybody else out here. Right. I'm the only one that can help him. You read that book. It, 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 it'll, did you read it? Yeah, it's, it's, har- it's heartbreaking. <laughs> oh, you read the book? Yeah. yeah, yeah I'm I know a, it. I'm going to send my copy to Suave when, now that I'm done with it. It's really tough yeah. to read. Good. What's the title of it? Uh, Imprisoned at 13. Yeah. You can oh, get wow. it on Amazon. Oh, he's got another book he's wrote, right, don't you? Yeah, he told me. Yeah, he's got that one. He says it's going to be better than this one. Yeah. And, and do you know Dina? Do you know his friend Dina out here in California? Dina? No, I don't. She's the one that does that website. No, I don't know her. That's Minutes before talk- six. That's the one he's been talking to? Yeah, he talks to her all the time. That's how I, That's how we met him. Oh, no. I, he talked to her. I didn't know her name or... Yeah, so what, what I did was I called... I've I've got... We've got a good network of, of people that are involved in, you know, reform. And I called a organization, Nebraskans for Fair Sentencing... And so I made them aware of Bob's case, and there's a there's actually a uh, a law going up once they get this lunatic out of office, the the governor. Well, me, I didn't even know Bob had, Bob had uh, talked to him or corresponded with him until a couple of weeks ago, and he said he already talked to Ricketts, and Ricketts turned him down. Yeah, he did. So, but there's a new law coming out, a good time law for people that have been in as long as Bob, where you mm-hmm. get time for your good behavior, and since his good behavior goes all the way back to the '80s. You know, if this law goes through, there's a chance Bob's going to get out. Well, maybe he, you know, I thought about that too, but then I thought if they don't want him, let, if they don't want to let him out, maybe they cut his sentence shorter. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Let me ask you. You don't, you don't mind being us getting a little personal, do you? Do you? Do you oh it, no, no, no. When when he gets out, what's the first thing you want to do with him? Like, what would you like to do if you oh, could I do wanna, anything? I want to hold him and give him a big kiss. Yeah. Hug him and kiss him. And then I want to thank God. Yeah. I do a lot of praying. I've done a lot of praying for, for him. And I, but I'm just, I just keep going. Every day I pray and I uh, and ask God, you know, please let him be out before I die. Because I'm 87 years old. Yeah. And I want to, I want to, I'd kind of like to see him get out before I die. Uh, we would. We would like the same thing. And I want to go down there to visit him. But he told me just a couple of days ago. Oh, it's just it's too far for you. You know, I take medicine, and I said, no, I have a way. My my grandson lives with me. My great grandson, mm-hmm. actually, my great grandson, and my uh, then my my young my uh, his brother Bill. He's really close with us. Has he ever mentioned his brother Bill? Yeah, he's mentioned his brothers. We haven't gotten into that yet. We're gonna. I'm gonna. I'm trying to get him back on the phone after we talk to you to do a oh. couple more interviews. It's it's hard though because he can't have three way calls. So I have a special machine that I have to use. But that oh, means we got to set it up in advance. So it's just you know it's just a it's complicated. But we've talked to him. I've talked to him a few more times. We're gonna re interview Dina 
I'd love to talk to any of his brothers if you're if you can you know. His brother Bill lives here with me. Oh, really? Uh huh. He probably could tell you a lot because he was in there at the same time Bob was. They were in prison together. Yeah. When? Oh gosh, Bill's got a daughter that's twenty years ago. He was in prison with him. Where? Where was was that in Kansas or in Nebraska? No, no, that, no they were. They had to be longer than that. This is in Nebraska. Okay, so this was before he worked in the embroidery shop. Yes, uh huh. Yes, it was. Uh-huh. He didn't. He worked in. When he got to Kansas is when he got that good job. Right. And they said he was the best worker they ever had. He never missed one day in 20 years. Now, that's the record. That's incredible. And then I got his cap and gown where he graduated from college down there. I, he's very intelligent. Yeah. No, I know. I've talked to him a lot. He's also very uh, suspicious of people. I know it. <laughs> I know it. I know it. And he, he was so young and he was so full of hate when he went in there. Yeah. And I think when he got in there, he tried to prove himself against other inmates, and I think that's what made him do that stabbing, you know? Yeah. Well, Suave can speak to that. He's He was in that situation as a young man. There's oh, predators I in bet there. he was. Guards and predators that are yeah. you know, trying to see it, test you, you know, and you got to react. There's It's not, people don't really understand what the prison culture is like. I'm not the smartest person there is, but I, I think he's more than paid for what he's done. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And you're 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 plenty smart, by the way. You know, yep. the, the prison culture cat yeah. for a young kid, <clears throat> it's hard enough for an adult, mm-hmm. but for a young kid, it's double hard. Yep. Like, it's real hard because now you're being preyed not only by other young offenders, but you're being preyed by the adult population. Yep. And, and the adult prison system, they view young kids as prey. You know, it's a prey, fresh meat. Mm-hmm. You know, and what I mean by that for the people that's listening is that older prisoners with biblical time, they prey on these young guys for sexual gratifications. And if you don't defend yourself, right? Yeah, you're right. They, you're right. they will rape you and they will what they call turn turn you out. Some of them will even turn you out and sell you in within the prison to other predators. And you will be like a jail prostitute with a pimp. This is how this is the reality. So, when you put a young man in an adult prison, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, I know. I what do you think is going to happen? You're going to have the same reaction. I'm free to death, but I could tell you that I had a situation like that in the prison where I was forced to cut a guy with a razor blade 32 times. Oh, my gosh. Like, I was oh. forced. It was either cut the guy, right, or get turned out. And I chose to cut the guy. This is how it is when you put a children's in adults' prison. I know. Another thing, not to change the subject, but you see, his dad went to prison you know, when he was probably about seven years old. And I remarried. Guy got a divorce, and I remarried. And Bob, Bob just he he just hated my new husband. He just hated him. He just I don't know. They they just didn't click. They just didn't get along. It's just like. I don't know. All I can say is that is a lot of that came in too. Because when we went to court, we had to go. We had to go to court because Bob and a couple others broke in some place and robbed some place. And he had to go to court. And he went before this judge. They put the other two on probation, and they sent Bob to the training school because they thought he was. They thought he was older. So he went to this, this boys' training school, and that's when he stole the car and came to them all. And then he then he just kept getting worse and worse and worse, and he finally ended up. They finally put him in, in down there in Lincoln, at, uh, and he was only thirteen, and he was—they thought he was seventeen. So, so what we talk, so care, so what we talking about here, 
multi generations of yeah. one family incarcerated, incarcerated fathers, mm-hmm. sons, you know, brothers. Mm-hmm. Add on top of that the trauma of just growing up in that kind of environment. The recipe is what we see here today. A, a child that went to jail at the age of 13 in 1969, before a lot of us was probably born. Mm-hmm. Right? I know. Uh, and he's still in prison. Yeah. So is this is the America that we supposed to be happy about? You know, if this is the no. America that supposed to provide justice for everyone, and, and let me be perfectly clear, a lot of the cases when we talk about these these cases, a lot of the time people say African Americans get the 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 short end of the stick, right? So mm-hmm. let me say this, America, we are not talking about a black man or a Latino man in this case. You know, we talking about a man. A child, right? And I say child because when you go to age, when you go to prison at the age of 13, you know, that's really the age that you still in limbo in. You know, that's the age that you can remember everything, right? I went in at 17 and I did 31 years, but I felt I came out when I was 21. Oh, wow. I was still thinking like a 17, 18, 19 year old kid when I came home. Because, you know, I was stuck in that age. There was a gap. It's a gap of growth that we miss when you are incarcerated at an early age. So we talking a man, we talking about a brother, a human being that went to prison at the age of 13, that missed out that whole adolescent gap, that whole adult gap. And now we going into middle age man. Because what is Bob now, 63? I think he's 66. 66 look at that you know so yeah. so so what i'm saying is like this is what i'm saying america like you should be upset there's no way in the world we should have oh, an 87 year old mother talking to playing with us you know trying to get her son out of jail i'm trying to get some justice for her son that was 13 when he went incarcerated think about that america i gotta commend you Joan, just being able to live through this, you know, and the trauma that it's caused you is pretty incredible. Uh, you know, and I can hear it in your voice right now. I've cried so many nights. I ask God, please let him come home so I can before I die. I don't want to die without without seeing him. Or, yeah. you know, I don't want to die without knowing that he's still in there. Yeah. But you know, life is what it is, and you got to accept it. It's in God's hands. I'm saying it's in God's hands. Yeah. Well, I, I can blame. I can't blame Bob because he sometimes he calls us and he's so upset and and you know he has like an attitude where he's mad. You know, why wouldn't he be? Look at what he's been through. That is, and you can't even say he's had a life. Right. I I just also want to say to the people and to the young man and and woman out there that's listening, man, that this is the reason why we should at all times, pay attention to to our mothers because you don't want your mother you know, mm-hmm. at 87 fighting for your freedom this this is no. why we should pay, listen to them this is why we should always love our mothers right, because when you end up in prison or in a situation where they want to lock you away for life Guess who's the only person that's going to be there? 
your, your mother. mother. Your mother is going to be there to the end. Is your mother Nobody there? else. Was your mother there? Yeah, my mother was there to the day mm-hmm. she died. Oh, that's my good. Mother died, my mother died in 2009. And oh, I was still serving life sentence, and they did, they did not allow me to come to the funeral. Yeah, see, that's, that's what I'm afraid might happen. I passed away, and they won't let Bob come to the funeral. So, and, and believe me, my mother came to visit me every week. My mother oh, uh, was oh, in the visiting so room. They knew her. Um, every penitentiary I've been to, which is quite a few of them, I, I did my tour of penitentiaries in the state and in the federal system and my mother was uh, there not my girlfriends not my friends yeah my mother and i, I had some I, good quality people yeah. in my life but we made we i made stayed my so mother because my mother was always there we made umpteen trips to lincoln and then we was in Can- uh, lansing we made umpteen trips down there <clears throat> I, I stuck by him i'd have to tell you the time that he got was in, in uh hospital down there in in, in uh, uh, Lincoln and I guess he cat, had a tattoo and he got infection and they, so they took him to the hospital I don't drive, I took a bus all the way down to Lincoln then I took a cab out to the hospital so I could see how I was and stay with him a couple of days and I did and I did the same, I came back I called a cab, got a bus back to Omaha but I was there for him I've never and, let him and, down. And I really thank you for that. I really thank you for that. As as a person that's been in prison, as a person yeah, that you know, you know, never yeah, had you know. the chance to share um, as a grown man um, an experience with my mom, because all my experience I shared with my mom was as a kid, as a 16-year-old kid. You know, as a grown man, my mother never got to see my transformation. She never got to experience the kind of person that I am today the difference that I'm making in the community and and who I, I'm becoming. She never got to see that because the state penitentiary robbed me of that. You know, so I really thank you for being um, a solid rock in Bob's life. Death by Incarceration was created to look at every aspect of the current criminal justice system. Each week, we will share stories intended to shed light on institutions that viciously target and harm marginalized communities, specifically communities of color. We will interview individuals currently incarcerated, those who have returned from incarceration, prosecutors, defense attorneys, victims, policymakers, and community members working to bring about change. Brought to you by Crawlspace Media, Suave Gonzalez, and Kevin McCracken. Please listen, follow, and subscribe to Death by Incarceration wherever you get your podcasts.
This is a Glass Box Media Podcast.